Hello and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers and today I'm pleased to be joined by Lou Gullo. Lou is Senior Principal Systems Engineer at Raytheon, leading several projects, but a lot of people know him best as the IEEE Reliability Standards Chair and a member of the IEEE Reliability Society Administrative Committee. He's also currently the Registration Chair of the RAMS Management Committee. Lou has many years of experience as a reliability engineer and manager that includes positions at Texas Instruments, BAE Systems, Honeywell, Flextronics, and Raytheon. Lou, welcome and th thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tim. Glad to be here. Lou, you've been very active in drafting, reviewing, and getting new IEEE reliability standards approved. Can you give us some historical perspective on reliability standards? How did IEEE get involved? Uh, sure, I'd like to uh, talk about uh, how IEEE uh, began doing reliability standards. Um, and uh, I guess before I go into the details of how that happened, let me just give a quick summary of IEEE, um, how IEEE develops standards. And then um, you can see that there are lots of opportunities to develop standards across uh, various industries and marketplaces. So IEEE uh, creates consensus-based standards through open process. And what that means is that IEEE wants people to participate from various uh, diverse backgrounds and establish a consensus and not be driven by a focus group of people that are trying to push a particular standard that they developed uh, through the uh, general population. And so they open, they have an open process where they completely share how the process works. Um, if you're a member of IEEE, anybody can create a desire or a, a form to uh, generate a standard that goes through a uh, rigorous uh, review process and to uh, get consensus throughout the standards development bodies that already exist. And then um, they try to get a, a demographic that uh, fits into various types of user communities or producer communities. So it's not, uh, again, driven by one particular group. Let's say academia is trying to drive a standard. They try to go out and make sure that other people like from industry that use, might use a standard or produce something that uses that standard would be involved. Right. So standards process has been evolved over the past century, and uh, there's uh, many different standards, uh, many different members through 150 countries that are involved. And there's 41 uh, societies or associations within IEEE that develop standards of one type or another. And the next slide, I just a summary of the IEEE Standards Association, which is where the uh, standards are developed, and there's about 900 standards that are in one stage of either complete or developed, and then about 400 standards that are developed, that are being developed. Um, and IEEE wow. is uh, the world largest uh, professional association for advancing technologies. Um, it's uh, a leader in uh, global standards development, and it does a lot of work with other standards bodies like ANSI and IEC, which is the International Electrical Technical Commission. Um, ISO is also associated with IEC. So there's a lot of uh, collaboration and partnering that goes on. So it's not just IEEE developing standards on their own. They also adopt standards from other places and other groups adopt their standards. So they might be joint standards. Sure. 
Um, the next Ooh, one is just. Has IEEE always been involved in standards? Uh, I don't know the answer to that question if they've always been involved. I think it uh, grew out of uh, different other places, other organizations that uh, were doing different things, um, you know, other, other names. And then IEEE kind of formed from the com combination of different groups. And uh, mm -hmm. I don't think there was an IEEE standards development body in the beginning. Like I remember one of the popular I, IEEE standards that I first started using was uh, the uh, two, 232 standard. If anybody's familiar with the interfacing, a serial interface on a computer, um, the it started out as a RCA standard. And, uh, you know, I uh, RS-232s was the uh, way it was called. And then when IEEE started getting involved, they changed the name from uh, IS or RS-232 to uh, IEEE 232. And then there's other mm -hmm. interfaces developed from there. Uh, one of the first IEEE standards what was, was a uh, dictionary, IEEE 100. How did they start adopting standards? What was their motivation? Uh, well, I, I can't talk to IEEE in general, but I can talk about IEEE Reliability Society. So sure. when I when I took over as uh, IEEE Reliability Society uh, Standards Committee Chair, um, which is about um, probably seven or eight years ago, um, IEEE had already developed um, 1332, and I actually have a slide here um, that the first standard we developed was 1332 back in uh, 1998, and uh, during that time, um, you know, or actually before that time, um, reliability um, professionals were using a uh, mill standards, and so the mill standard that was uh, related to reliability programs was called mill standard 785. And uh, it was around uh, 1992 that um, members of the uh, DOD and the Army, uh, U.S. Army, um, approached the University of Maryland, uh, Kelsey, and uh, asked Dr. Peck if uh, he would be interested in helping to develop uh, an industry standard that could replace the military standards because military standards were going away and uh dr perry back in the in the early or the mid 90s under the perry initiative when he was the secretary of defense wanted to get away from standards and so the yeah, DOD right. had approached dr peck and said hey can you make uh, a, a standard to replace 785 mill, mill standard 785 and that became 1332. Mm -hmm. And then also after that, um, well, during the same time, uh, there was also the desire to replace Mill Handbook 217, which is for predictions. And that's what drove the development of uh, IEEE 1413. And 1413 is more of a standard that tells you how to, or uh, all the shalls, all the requirements, but it doesn't tell you how. And so that's why you see the next standard after that, 1413.1, is the uh, guidebook to tell you how to do a prediction and it gives you all the different ways to do predictions besides just using a handbook and then we had 1624 which came in after um, 1332 and 1413 which was an assessment process to help organizations build their capabilities for doing reliability engineering and it developed what was called eight key practices and then uh, the fifth standard that you see that that's been developed is 1633, which is the uh, software reliability uh, recommended practice.
So those are examples of the five standards that are in sustainment right now that we have developed and uh, keeping those up to date. Um, on the next page and the last page of this uh, slide is the three standards that are in development right now. And I don't have titles next to them because they're not approved. So I can only say that we have numbers assigned by the standards board to go forward and develop these standards. But generally speaking, the first one, 1856, is on prognostics and health management. So it'll be some type of a standard document that, that talks to those um, capabilities for organizations and develops common terminology and uh, concepts. Uh, the next one's reliability growth. And here's our first standard in the Reliability Society where we're partnering with IEC. So that's why you see that big number there, 61014, because that's how IEEE or IEC develops standards with five um, characters like that. And uh, this is one where they're, they're developing the standard first, and then we're going to look at adopting that standard for IEEE purposes instead of us developing our own reliability growth standard. And then the last one there is 1633, which is uh, an update we're doing to the, to the uh, previous release of 1633 for software reliability. Lou, for folks that are unfamiliar with how this works, what's the process for updating an IEEE standard? Well, um, you know, anybody can generate a request. Um, and I said there's a standard form that, uh, you know, an IEEE member can go to within the uh, IEEE uh, Standards Association website and request uh, what's called a PAR and a PAR stands for a project authorization request. And so once you submit a PAR as an IEEE member, then the uh, what's called the NESCOM, which stands for, um, and it doesn't really make sense the way they uh, made the acronym, which is N-E-S-C-O-M, but it basically stands for New Standards Committee. So N-E is kind of new, and then S is standards, and then committee for C-O-M. Got it. And, and they would review that. Um, so if you generate a PAR and it's, and it's something that you think that the Reliability Society uh, should take a look at sponsoring, then that um, in that process of filling out the PAR online, it would send me an email and then ask me to uh, approve it or to sponsor it. And what I normally would do is, is if this is something that's brand new to me, then I would bring it up to my uh, administrative committee and the people that I report to in the uh, what's called the XCOM, which is the executive committee within the IEEE Reliability Society, and uh, ask if uh, they're okay with the uh, concepts being recommended for a new standard and, you know, help me make a decision whether I should approve it or not. And it's always good if a person that generates a PAR sends me a letter as well telling me why they wanted to do it and how they were going to play a role in developing that standard, whether they were going to be a working group chair or they have brought in a, a, a diverse working group already and they have somebody else selected to be the chair and this person was just handling the administration of submitting the form. So that kind of, uh, you know, heads up would help to uh, make that PAR go smoother. Sure. And so we, we generate PARs whether we're doing a new standard or somebody wants to update a standard. Either way, a PAR form would be created. Got it. Got it. You know, Lou, I'm glad you brought that up uh, about the importance of attaching a justification. This, all of this seems like a lot of work on the part of volunteers who are on the working groups. 
why should people and companies participate in standards development? What's what's in it for them? Um, I think in standards development, you get two benefits. Um, so depending on where you are in your career. So let's say you're a professional that's got lots of experience, lots, lots of knowledge, and um, you're looking for that next step in your career, say a promotion or, you know, getting uh, an award or better accolades, better visibility. Uh, being an IEEE standards developer has a lot of uh, benefits there for how you're recognized in an organization. Sure. And so I look at it as giving back <clears throat> because everybody in the standards association is volunteers. So you're giving your own time back into the society and the general population of electrical engineers overall. So I look at it as I'm contributing my knowledge and also my leadership in helping to get standards started by folks that maybe aren't familiar with how to do it, or maybe they are very familiar, but they're just they're they're technical and they don't want to get in marred down with all the bureaucracy and the and the edits and the editorial comments that come up and the formatting. So that's where I would take over and help them get a standard through once they have the knowledge um, put into the uh, into that documentation and then I would take it to the next step. And then for mm -hmm. folks that are on the other side, which is they're not uh, a developed, they're not, they've never developed it before, they've never done any standards work for them to come into the working group. And by the way, you can be a member of a working group and not be a member of IEEE. So working group members can be from, you know, general population or they could be long-term, you know, IEEE members. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be a member of IEEE to participate. It's only if you're going to take a lead role. That's good to know. Yeah. So if you're a new guy that's never done standards, we welcome you to come in and learn. And that's how you become an expert is by listening to uh, all the industry experts on a standards development. And, and then you should in some way participate, you know, whether you're going to help to write a paragraph or to collect a lot of different uh, expert opinions on how a paragraph should be written and do the editorial part of it and blending in the comments and managing the uh, adjudication of, of comments and, and edits. You know, there's a lot of things that somebody that's not an expert can do to still contribute in the development of a standard. And in the process, they'll ultimately, you know, through osmosis, still uh, that stuff will rub off on them and they'll become experts. Sure. Lou, what's in it for companies to participate in standards development? I think companies um, have mixed uh, feelings about what the benefits are. It really depends on how that company drives its business. So one of the companies that I worked for, I won't name names, but uh, that company was very interested in standards because it worked on a commercial side. Um, it it drove a lot of its products based on those standards that it helped to develop. So it didn't use its own company standard to drive an IEEE standard because that's not allowed. But what it did was it, it was a big contributor on that standards team um, to develop this, uh, let's say, an interface. And then once the interface was developed, then it could develop develop products that people would use to be able to run that interface. So that's one case where there's a direct correlation to a business opportunity. Um, and then another one is where you know the company does not get any benefit monetarily from being on the standards, but it gets the position of, of leadership. So if I have people on this standards committee doing a particular topic of development, that demonstrates that I have a leadership role in that uh, area 
And so it looks good from a marketing or brand name recognition and, you know, indirectly has a, uh, has a benefit. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Lou, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned um, P1633, the software reliability standard. This is a, a growing interest for a lot of folks these days. What's the status of that standard? And I know it's in development, but uh, what, what can you tell us about how that's coming together? Um, sure. 1633 uh, originally was published in uh, 2008. And this is the first time now, um, we started it last year, where we're going to do an update for it. So um, we changed some things around compared to the initial, uh, the way the document was, uh, was written. So originally it was, um, it was led by uh, Dr. Norman Schnedewin, who brought the standard to IEEE from the, IA, uh, the AIAA, so it's an aer aeronautical organization that develops standards on their own. So AIAA had written the standard and they kind of wrote it in the mindset of the aeronautics and aerospace industry. But then after they completed writing it, they said, you know what, this is more than just applicable to the aerospace industry. It's applicable to the general uh, users of electronic systems. And so they basically offered it to the IEEE Reliability Society and said, hey, would you be willing to take this standard and get it released as an IEEE standard and then just give us recognition that you know, AIA helped to develop it. And so that was agreed that we would do that. So now that now given that that's how that standard was developed and, and published in 2008, we're now taking a step back and really looking at it from a more holistic approach and saying, what are all the things that are missing? Because the, the standard, the initial standard was more directed towards models. So, you know, Norm Schnowen's models in there and little Littlewood models in there and Muse's models in there. There's tons of models, Yamada, on and on, um, all related to reliability and reliability growth type models for software. And so we said, let's do more than just develop um, a, a handbook or a, a glossary of all these different models. Let's go and look at all the things that you need to do to improve the reliability of software or to understand what's the reliability of software and then where you need to make improvements. So it's kind of different. And now it's under the Very leadership good. of, um, of uh, Anne-Marie Neufelder. And she's uh, a principal for a company called SoftRail. And we've also brought in um, Lance Fiandella, who's a uh, assistant professor at UMass, University of Massachusetts in Dartmouth. Mm -hmm. So they're both uh, leading the development of this new 1633 standard which is in its first full year now of development. I look forward to seeing more from that. Are there any other emerging technologies or trends that you think are going to require new or updated standards? Well, we, we do see them coming up from lots of different places. Um, one of the areas was the PHM, and that came up right. uh, maybe three or four years ago where there was a need for a PHM standard that was related to systems. There was PHM standards for components, but not for systems. And so that's what drove the development of this new 1856. We're also seeing some areas in the transportation, like uh, the smart highways and, and sensors on cars. And we've had some discussions with the people in the IEEE where outside industries were talking to IEEE and saying, how can we develop standards for transportation? And the Reliable Society is contributing in that, but we're not sure 
who's going to actually be the sponsor for that. So it's kind of in a gray area right now where there's a lot of societies that take an interest in that. And so from our point of view, we're just contributing in the decisions and the strategies of how they move forward with uh, the standards development. Um, for instance, I'm involved with the Computer Society. So Computer Society manages probably 80 different standards, and I'm probably saying that number wrong. It's probably a lot more now, but when I last was involved, it was about 80 um, between their sustainment and development. And they have uh, various standards committees where the Reliability Society, we're just managing five standards. Since they manage much more than that, you know, order of magnitude at least higher, they're, um, they have multiple standards committees depending on the types of standards. And so I help with the uh, systems and software standards that come out of the Computer Society, standards like uh, 12207, which is software lifecycle processes, and 15288, which is system lifecycle processes. Um, there's also one on software quality, which is uh, related to metrics, and uh, that's 982.1, so I take an interest in that one. So we kind of work together within the societies, and it doesn't really matter whether one society leads it or not, we can still contribute in one way or another, whether we're on the working group or helping to contribute with um, the, the balloting process, which has to be done in a very uh, right. rigorous method to get everything uh, approved and voted on. Lou, what's the best way for folks to learn more about how they can help with standards development or updating standards? Well, Tim, that's a great question. Um, there are several websites you can go to. So um, I always prefer the one that you have up there now, which is, um, you know, it's on that slide for the IEEE Reliability Society. You can go there and read on the standards. You can click on a link and see how to get to the Standards Association. Um, so that the, the link to what you show on the screen is the, um, the rs.ieee.org URL. And so that's a good place. Or if you want to go directly into the Standards Association, um, you can go to uh, standards.ieee.org, and that'll take you to the Standards Association, and you can read up on uh, what's involved in developing standards. There's a lot of good tutorials, um, you know, things to read and, and flow charts. Um, then you could also go to the Computer Society, and you can go in through uh, computer.org and look for the S2ESC, and that's the uh, system software. Engineering Standards Committee. Lou, thanks so much for your insights and all your hard work on standards. Thank you. That was Lou Gullo, IEEE Reliability Standards Chair and Principal Systems Engineer at Raytheon. This is Tim Rogers. Thanks a lot for joining us.